Welcome or welcome back to Last Best Stories. Oh my God, this is still a thing. I'm Jewel Banville, and I love death. I mean, I think death is always interesting, don't you? I mean, the ways we deal with it, the ways we write about it, the ways we do what I'm doing right now, talking about it. John Underwood, who died unexpectedly this year in London, was a guy who loved to talk about death. So he founded a movement about it, and he called it the Death Cafe. And all over the world, people listened and started their own death cafes, including north of where I sit right now in the Flathead Valley. Our first story goes there with two dedicated, super undead reporters. Catherine Houghton, who worked for the Daily Newspaper in Kalispell when she started this piece, and Nikki Willette, who's a Flathead reporter for Montana Public Radio. Stay with us after that story, because Nikki's coming back with our second feature that's not about death in any way, but is about an 80s cover band with dreams bigger than my high school hair, which was unquestionably large. Take it away, ladies. So I work for this paper in the Flathead, the Daily Interlake. My name's Katherine Houghton, and I'm reading the paper one day, and I see this ad for a group meeting. It offered tea and cookies, which I'm into, and a chance to meet people, people who want to sit around and talk about death. Because death happens to all of us, and it's all around, and it's part of the cycle of life, but we do a phenomenal job of denying it. That's Nancy Reese Jones, who's led Death Cafe in Kalispell since 2013. Death Cafe is, um, it's a concept that was started by a guy named John Underwood in London in 2011. And he, um, he and his mom, who's a psychiatrist or psychologist, can't remember, but they started having groups of people into their house uh, to talk about death. The groups kept getting bigger and bigger, and eventually people wanted to know how to host their own. So Underwood posted online the Death Cafe model, how to find people, tips for getting them together, how to start and continue talking about death and dying, how to let people know the group exists. And it exploded from there. They are all over the world. I mean, it's amazing. I just went on the site today, and just just within this week, there's Brazil, there's London, there's um, I believe Nova Scotia, there's Alberta, Canada, there's um, you know Tucson, all over the states. Literally, wherever somebody like myself goes online and goes, "Oh wow, I want to do this," and is willing to go through the few steps you have to do, um, they've got them. Underwood's website, deathcafe.com, says there are now almost 5,000 of these groups worldwide, but only two in Montana. The other one meets intermittently in Billings. What they do is pretty much open to interpretation, but Nancy says there are a couple of rules. One is he wants you to serve tea and cake because he wants this to be a light environment, you know, refreshments and, you know, not the heaviness. This is not a morbid thing that, that he's wanting to do. It's just to encourage people to talk about what's going to happen to all of us. The second rule is no experts. He doesn't want you to have films or bring in experts from funeral parlors or whatever. Number three, this is not a grief group. They're able to sit there and say, you know, I'm really terrified of dying and I'm really angry at death. You know, I'm really angry because I've lost these people. And so, you know, it's it, like I say, we it can get emotional and the people really are sharing from their hearts. 
and yet it is not, uh, we are not there to help, um, to help them move through their grief as much as just to acknowledge. The last rule is that the meetings have to be held regularly and they have to be open to anyone who wants to come. I, ha- I hold mine once a month. People sometimes do it once every six months. Um, I have mine for two hours. I think that's probably a usual time. Nancy's fascination with death starts with her mom. She died in 1987 of colon cancer. Nancy was just 33. Um, I got to experience the real, the, the sort of the elegance of her death, even though she whittled away to absolutely nothing with the cancer. There was a grace about how she handled her death and a dignity that I learned a great deal from. But there was also a lot unsaid. There were a lot of practical matters that they took care of instead. When it became clear that Nancy's mom wasn't going to survive, the kids met to divvy up mom's stuff. She was always a very reserved person, and she never talked about death. And I was so eager. I just wanted to be able to talk to her about death. Um, There were two things that she wanted to make sure that her children, the four of us, would divide up when, when she was there, and that was the children's books she'd had when she was a child, and the silver, the family silver. So we literally sat on the floor around her bed. We were in our 20s and 30s and divided these things up. And she was so happy with that. They rotated turns sitting with her mom. Nancy happened to be with her when she finally died a little after midnight. I was there with her and holding her hand when she died, which is um, an amazing experience. A lot of people would just sort of be appalled, you know, that's a very frightening concept for many people, but I have talked to so many of my friends who have had that experience, and they, like me, say it's one of the most amazing things that's ever happened to them, because it is such um, an honor, really, to be with someone. It's like being at a birth, really. But even though Nancy and her siblings went through this together, they somehow did it without talking about what was happening, what was going to happen. That still bugs Nancy. But that's the way actually most people die, I found out. Um, The inability to actually talk about it, even within the family, is, um, I don't think that's changed a lot. And I I think Death Cafe is one of those things that hopefully we are helping people to be able to have these conversations. So I went to Death Cafe with my former roommate, Nikki Willette. She's a Montana public radio gal. We're in the back of a coffee house in Whitefish. People are making tea, chatting, catching up. One guy happens to be carrying a book he wrote about his dead dog. There are all kinds of strange groups in the valley, you know, who look at, at different subjects, and it's just a question of bringing them out. and what you That's William Brooks of Kalispell. I think any kind of conversation, any kind of exchange, any kind of communication helps us to learn something, you know, what, what it exactly is becomes clearer much later. You know, you go through the experience of, of, of people and... It doesn't click right away. William's dog, Sevius, which means know the ways, died in 2009. Here's a bit of the foreword from his book. Why did I write my book, Then There Was a Dog? Death and love both contain fear of losing power. Blinding and enlightening, it drives us through life with various results. Sevius, my dog, made me confront both. For 10 years, his life was a never-ending demonstration of joy, loyalty, preparedness, attention, gratitude, sharing, and expression of beauty and skill. His last hour 
<laughs> Here, read it. <laughs> His last hour, dying from a twisted stomach, was filled with pain, confusion, shivers, and sounds heralding the presence of death. A last look into his eyes, knowing that five minutes later, life. Tears are not usual at Death Cafe. In fact, it feels a little more like book club. (laughs) Nancy says she sets these meetings up kind of like AA. She starts with everyone introducing themselves and sharing what's been on their mind this past month about death and dying. Um, My name is Tracy, and this is maybe my fifth or sixth death cafe. My name's Lynn, and we're four-year residents of Whitefish, moved here because of grandchildren. Uh, my name is Kim, and um, I am. Uh, I work at the Montana Vets Home as a nurse. What? Montana Vets Home in Columbia Falls, I'm a nurse. My life is about more than my work, and yet life is also about death. And so this is an opportunity for me to just sort of sit sit in the presence of those who are talking about it authentically, and I really appreciate that. Uh, my only sibling died in a tragedy when I was 24, and um, that has been sort of the worst thing that ever happened to me, and the best. Decided to uh, stop dialysis. There's a good way to enter a room when someone is there uh, actively dying. I stayed with her the whole time and gave her the morphine and the Ativan. What you are offering, of course, is your love and support. But the whole time I'm going through her clothes, I'm talking to her. And it's just mm-hmm. been so interesting. You're like, oh, Doris, I didn't know that you had... What a lovely sweater that is, you know? And now I'm learning more about her just through her clothing. At Death Cafe, people talk about the most intimate, emotional moments of their lives in the same matter-of-fact way you'd talk someone through changing a tire. In a lot of ways, it's a manual for the practical aspects of the end of life. Take, for example, Nancy Rose, who has a very real fear of dying. As people are dying, they have, it seems to me, they have less and less breath. And I'm very claustrophobic, (laughs) so I thought, well, how on earth do I do that? How do I die and adjust to not having too much breath? And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, is it all, is it all right to talk about this? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that was my big sigh. Was I, I hear what you're saying, and that struggle with breath is is yeah. scary shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how do you uh, how do you not panic or yeah. be afraid or be angry or be anything other than how do you be present and say? Yeah. I know I am loved and I am looking forward to my reception committee and whatever is next, but this particular moment and how long is it going to go on and how long do I keep practicing? Will I consciously be able to practice my breathing? It's kind of shocking how frank the discussion is, but that's the point. People who go to Death Cafe are actively trying to shatter the taboo our culture's created about death and dying. We catch Max and Eva Maxwell as the meeting breaks up and people start stacking chairs. You can hear some of those conversations in the background. Eva and Max have been coming to Death Cafe since Nancy Reese Jones started it a few years ago. And it's led Eva to see the barrier of death a bit differently. Um, if you miss on somebody and they die before you get to talk to them, you can still talk to them afterwards and change that relationship because I've experienced that because I had some, like I did, 
I had some issues with my mother. And after she died, I've just oh, kind of talked to her in my head, and I've gone back and look at the cards she sent me and stuff. And I love her more now than I did when she was alive because I understand more. Oh, people come to this with such guilt sometimes because they didn't do the right thing at the end. But I just think you can transform that. Nancy describes Death Cafe as a chance to talk about what makes a good death. For Eva, it's thinking that if Max goes first, she'll have a few final hours with his body, alone, at home, so she can wash him. For Nancy, it's looking outside her window to the field below, surrounded by the people who just get it, her need to die what she calls a spiritually conscious death. And it's music. Classical music, uh, I just love, you know, I love Beethoven. And, and then there's a huge amount of other, much more contemporary music that is just so, you know, deeply moving and um, and quiet and and powerful. So I'd say, and and some Beatles thrown in there too. I can listen to Beatles forever. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Take these But I definitely uh, not um, not hard 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 metal or whatever, you know. That's not me. <laughs> you were only waiting for this moment to be free. Usually when you bring up death in a cocktail party situation, the conversation stops and everybody moves to the other side of the room. I found out because when I tell people that I've been involved in this death cafe concept, I have one of two reactions. Most people's rea reactions are sort of to recoil and say, oh my God, that is too weird. And other people are really interested. Well, what does that involve? Curiosity, I think, is the baseline. Yeah, an openness to it. A willingness to own that final moment. For Last Best Stories, I'm Nikki Ouellette. And I'm Katherine Houghton. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. What are you singing? Let's talk about death, baby. Let's talk, talk about, about you and me. <laughs> we probably shouldn't do that. Probably not. Catherine Houghton now works as a staff writer at the Bozeman Daily Chronicle, where she continues to kick ass. Nikki is still up in the flathead, filing stories on the regular for MTPR. And she recently launched a podcast called Subsurface about this cool and intense reporting project about muscles. Not the kind you pump to get ripped, but the ones you don't want in your lake. It's packed with awesome audio. You should check it out. Subsurface Podcast. Google it. A few years ago, when Nikki was a mere grad student in my advanced audio class at the University of Montana, she went deep in on a feature about an Avis cover band based out of Whitefish. They're called the New Wave Time Trippers. This piece won the Best of Festival Award at the Broadcast Educators Association Conference because the judges recognized that it's a great business story punctuated by killer kick drums. So right now we're walking downtown to the club. And then in about 20 to 30 minutes, it's go time. That's Matthew Bissard, bassist for the New Wave Time Trippers, a small-town 80s cover band with big-time dreams. Tonight, and really a lot of nights, they're playing at the Great Northern Bar in Whitefish, Montana, a small ski town so far north it's almost in Canada. Oh, I don't need that note. That's a good thing. That's Nick Spear, frontman and lead guitar. Just, you know, we're not poking fun at the 80s or, or um, 
or giving people the junk food of the 80s. We're trying to give them the actual nutrition that the 80s music actually had to offer. In the back of my mind, I was thinking somebody else is thinking that, you know, if I form a band and it's 80s, alternative 80s, we're going to get so many gigs and we're just going to kill it. Um, because it was a big, there was a big need in this area. You know, I mean, our goals are, are global, which sounds ridiculous to say, but they are. Going global? Well, here's what Nick has to say about it. Our goal eventually, I think, is to um, do corporate events and um, maybe get a, I mean, to get a sit down once a week in Las Vegas would be fantastic. Matthew still works his day job as a barista at a local coffee house. Drummer Marco Farcone and keyboardist Don Caverly work the soundboards for bars downtown, and Nick acts for theater troops on the side. But this band is really the bread and butter for all four of them. They're not rolling in it, but between bar shows and the occasional private event, each of the time trippers makes enough to buy groceries and sometimes even make rent. I don't know if it's a living, but it, it's money, so. The time trippers incorporated themselves as an LLC last summer to help keep track of bookkeeping and taxes. This was the next step in their business model, and that's because this band really should be their day jobs. These guys, who are children of the 80s and true believers in the music, have found a niche. No one around them is playing 80s music the way they are. To them, it's more than music. It's a story. It's an experience. On June 5th of 1985, a mildly talented unknown cover band was playing Poochie's Pet Wash and Espresso Bar in San Bernardino, California. This is a video the guys play at every show to introduce themselves. Scientists now believe Charlie did not buy a bass chorus pedal at all, but a flux capacitor, a real one. On stage, the band's bathed in a wash of blue light. They've changed into their signature costumes. Yeah, we all wear Chuck Taylors. Chuck Taylors, the pink Converse shoes. Uh, And we all have white Levi's. That's where the similarity um, stops. I wear... This thing I found on the internet, it looks like a cross between a chef's coat and a motorcycle ninja jacket. It's like a man from Miami Vice got hit with uh, a new wave jacket monster bat. And I decided to just wear this fishnet t-shirt and apparently the women liked it. Even if somebody else gets replaced in the band, you put the white pants on and the white shirt on and here we go, right? Time Troopers on four. One, two, three, four. Time, Time Troopers, troopers on four. Acid of plates. All right, let's do it. Here we go. There's a handful of locals who come over and over again. I think there is uh, a weird sort of Rocky Horror Picture Show phenomenon of they know what's coming and they love it and they rejoice in the retelling. Okay, so my favorite part of performing is, as a drummer, my foot, the kick drum, I get to dictate the groove of the night. So it is the most, uh, I'll just say inspiring, it's the most indulgent thing that I can do. I like the burning down the house when uh, Marco and I are playing the drums together, especially that end when we do the coordinated drum ending and just go nuts. Everybody just digs it so much and it's fun. 
From Whitefish, Montana, I'm Nikki Ouellette. You've been listening to Last Best Stories. I'm Jewel Banville. Before I give you the old see you next time, I want to give two shout outs. Number one, we are not the only podcast made in Missoula, Montana, folks. If you like this one, I think you need to check out Jamie and Travis Present. Jamie Rogers and Travis Yost are also way more into feeding your habit. Last I checked, they were on episode 56, and that show just gets better and better. Most episodes feature the guys who are great talkers on their own, interviewing someone who's doing cool things in our town. The show's funny, surprising, a great listen. And number two, I was recently interviewed and then featured in this fantastic project called the Flyover Podcast Newsletter. Kelly Moffitt, who worked for St. Louis Public Radio and is now on staff at StoryCorps, spends her spare time trying to find and then alert people about podcasts that are made between the coasts. It was really fun to be a part of this, and I got to say things like, hmm, sometimes I listen to the story now and I'm like, damn it, there's that angry squirrel again. That's it for me. See you next time.